Now, if you would turn your Bibles to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 12. And if you're able, if you all would also stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll be reading verses 1 and 2 of Romans, chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated. What is God's will to your life? Maybe a few months ago or maybe even a few weeks ago, you had to make a certain decision or you had a choice before you where you were wondering, should I go right or left? Should I move to this place or that place? Or even an opportunity popped up and you could maybe change your career path. Is this something that I should do or not? Those questions come to our lives. And especially if you're a Christian, I hope that you are concerned with God's will to your life. You don't want to do something that goes against God's will, but you want to follow his word and do something that will actually please him. My goal here this morning is to help you answer that question in a very practical level, is to help you get to a point where you can face those decisions with confidence, knowing that God is sovereign and that you can make a decision knowing that that is God's will to your life. But at the same time, and maybe that's the first step of of this process, is to understand that this need, this quest for God's will is there not only when you're actually thinking about it, But it's something that happens even when you're not thinking about it. When you wake up in the morning and you start your day maybe having breakfast. And then you drive to work or you go take care of your kids. And you spend hours doing things that you're used to do. The way you talk to your kids. The way you raise them. The way you talk to your wife or your husband. The way you engage your co-workers. All those things. We we don't take those those decisions in the same way you take maybe which college should I go to. Or which person should I marry. Or which car should I buy. But at the end of the day, am I doing God's will? And, and that's what I want to challenge you today is to go through this process we see in Romans 1 of renewing our minds, which applies not only for the things that concern ourselves so much that we get worried about, am I doing God's will here and there, but every day, am I living according to God's will? And that's the quest of our sermon this morning, is to explore this idea of finding God's will and following God's will In what we do. All our decisions and choices in life must be directed by God's will. And in fact, this is maybe one of the most fundamental questions of of Christian living. Am I doing God's will? Jesus himself was concerned with this. It says in Luke 22 that Jesus prayed, Not my will, but thy will be done. In John 6.38, Jesus declares, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus' whole ministry, his whole time on earth was grounded in God's will. He was not here to do his own will, but to do 
the will of the Father, or the Father had established that he would do. First Peter 4, 2, Paul, sorry, Peter, says, not as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions before the will of God. So we live this life not for human passions before the will of God. In Colossians chapter 4, 12, Paul writes this beautiful prayer to the Colossians. And the prayer is actually from Epaphras. He's writing, Epaphras wishes this to you. This is his prayer for you. And his prayer is that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. We want to live our lives grounded in the will of God. And lastly, just because we read it this morning, I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but Psalm 119. If you think about it, Psalm 119, every single verse is about the will of God. 176 verses of the psalmist desiring and praising God. I love your will. I love your word. I love your law, your commandments. Let me understand them. Let me have it in my life so that I can be successful in what I do, so that I can please you and know that I'm doing what is right as I'm walking in this life. That's what Psalm 19 is about. 176 verses of going after God's will. Now, before we get to our text, I want to do spend a little time doing two things. Going through the two different kinds of will of God, Scripture teaches us. And we learn this in theology. We have the decretive will of God, and we have the revealed will of God. The goal, at first, this may sound seem a little unnecessary, but hopefully you'll see that this is actually very practical when it comes to the way we pray and the way we even ask that question, what is the will of God to my life? Uh, I want to show you that a lot of people today in America, especially because of the charismatic movement, and even in our churches because we have been influenced by those ideas, seek the wrong will of God. And it's not only the wrong will of God in the sense of not being the right one, but it's sinful to pursue this wrong will of God, as we'll see. So, God's decretive will, we read about it in Isaiah chapter 46. Here's what he says. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. This is the Lord we serve. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, He's the God Almighty, and no one can stand before Him and tell Him what to do. That, that's that's the, the will of God that leads us, that it's in Scripture for us so that we can fear God, so that we can comprehend His mighty power, who He is, and this discrepancy be, between creator and creature we have. This, this will of God should bring awe to our senses and should bring the sense of reverence to who we are and how we approach our God, knowing that He is the one who has the final word in all things. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deeps, everywhere. In heaven, on earth, everywhere. In the seas, in all deeps. And the last one, 
The last text I want to mention on this decretive will of God is from Daniel chapter 4. Here we have the most powerful man. Sometimes we get a little worried about what's going on in our country, the government. So many things going wrong and people seem to not fear God. It's interesting that today, the figure I would think of the most powerful man in the world today is the President of the United States. It's just hard to picture Biden <laughs> as that man. But here you have Nebuchadnezzar, back in the day, the most powerful man in the world. And this is what he says. I bless it, after being humbled by God. I bless it the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and among and, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. There's no difference. Heaven, earth is all the same. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? This is the sovereign will of God, this is his decretive will, and no one can say anything, no one can argue with him, and this is maybe the most important one. This is not your business. God does not allow anyone to mess with this will or, or to give him opinion on what he's doing in this will. This will is absolutely good and wise, is grounded in his character. God is the author of all reality, and everything that he's planned is therefore good and, and just and righteous and perfect. It's the best way reality could ever exist, it's grounded in his wisdom. And we ought to respond to him with thanks and in awe for all that he has done. But here's the problem before we move to the next will. The problem is when in pursuit of God's will, instead of doing what he has told us to do, which is pursue his will through his word, we start getting a little, we want more than what we have. We want to touch this mystical, mysterious will of God, the, ones that, the one that is hidden from us. And that's what paganism is. Think of false religions. It's all about emptying your mind and trying to receive somehow this extra information that will give you not what God wants you to do according to his word, but what will happen tomorrow. His decreed will that is hidden from you. Even Jesus himself said that he didn't know the last days. And, and that was an example of what we see here, that people were trying to understand this hidden will of God that was not for man to know. Here's a good quote from R.C. Sproul. He says in this issue of people trying to understand this will of God. Many Christians become preoccupied or even obsessed with finding the will of God for their lives. If the will they are seeking is his secret, hidden, or decretive will, then our quest is a fool's errand. The secret counsel of God is his secret. He has not been pleased to make it known to us. Far from being a mask of spirituality, the quest for God's secret will is an unwarranted invasion of God's privacy. God's secret counsel is none of our business. This is partially why the Bible takes such a negative view on fortune-telling, necromancing, and other forms of prohibited practices. This is what the charismatic movement does. Instead of trusting God's word, we want the spiritual, the spirit will come and whisper in my ears, which person to marry or, or I'll turn the radio on and the first word that comes tells me, you know, some, some, some guidance to which country should go be a missionary. That's how we make decisions. 
It's emptying our minds. And as we'll see when we come back to Romans chapter 12, and that's maybe my main focus today, we try to stick with this idea of the mind, the renewing of your mind. True Christianity doesn't stay only in the mind. It's not just cold orthodoxy. We just don't believe in knowledge. This is not just education. We're not coming here to learn something new, and that's it. It goes to the heart, and we're concerned with true, sincere, spirit-filled worship to our God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to have knowledge. However, it starts with the renewing of the mind. You need right information. You need to fill yourself with the Word of God, and that comes from his revealed Will And that's what we'll see here in these next verses. So if God's decretive will is hidden from us and it's not our business, now there is a will that belongs to us, was given to us with clarity so that we can follow. Because not only was given to us, but now because we received, we are accountable to do what is there. And if we don't, we will pay for it. We'll give account to God before his throne the last day for not obeying the will he has asked us and commanded us. And command us to obey. A good text for that, we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And I think that's a good place to go to find this revealed will of God. It says, Jesus teaches to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the difference? The other will of God we talked about, Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, everywhere, it doesn't matter. That will is always taking place. It's a sovereign decreed will. But here Jesus is saying, this will of God is not taking place on earth. That's why we have to pray and actually put effort into bringing that will to earth. The idea here is, in the same way that in heaven, the angels are always praising God in all holiness. They are away from sin, and they praise God, they worship God, they feel the joy of God that, that, that bounces through the angels and through the saints in heaven. We talked about that last Sunday, the joy of God. Every time a Christian is saved, someone comes to Christ, there's a party in heaven, and the joy of God just overflows, and the angels praise God, and the saints praise God for the new person who has accepted as uh, being received in the family and this joy this peace that they experience in heaven this is what christians are to pray and desire that would come to earth that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and we do that fulfilling his word fulfilling his revealed will and i'll give you one only one illustration for this and, and, and that would probably clarify the, the, the mistake we make mixing these two wills. We understand the sovereignty of God. And let's say someone in our church is sick. That person is sick. And we believe that God can use all things for good. We believe that in his decretive will, that's maybe what that person needs is that he would be sick. And through that, God will use all things for good to bring that person in maturity, in his faith, so that he can trust God, not rely on himself. And, and trusting God, and, and that's a good thing. But when I pray, I don't start speculating over all those things. I pray according to His revealed will. What is His revealed will? That I w- would wish what is good to my neighbor. So when I pray for this person, I'm expecting that this person would get better, and I pray, Lord, you're sovereign. And, and it's okay to recognize that part of our trusting God is understand that He will use all things for good at the very end. We pray for this person, 
trusting God, but we pray according to God's word, praying, Lord, heal this person. This is what is good for this person. I want him to get better so that he can praise you, so that he can worship you. This is what the word says is good, and this is what I'm pursuing in my life. And that's how we pray. And whatever happens, we know God will use for good. But again, the way we act, the way we make decisions is always according to God's word. As, as interesting as it may sound, that's the excuse that most people who sometimes want to have a relationship with a non-Christian, that's what they say. God can fix all things. That's not how he works. He can't. And many times he does. And he's gracious, he's merciful, and he may make it work out. And we will hope that he does if that's what it is. But you don't make that decision until you know God's decretive will is not your business. So good thing we got that. Clear. One of the definitions of God's revealed will that I really like, it's kind of a funny one to me, comes from Vodibach and he says, God's revealed will is that will which we have the power, the ability, but not the right to break. And I really like this perspective. God's decretive will, there's nothing you can do about it. God's revealed will, you can obey or not. You're free. You're not a robot. You do whatever you want. And God will keep you accountable for doing it or not, though you have no right to do it. Now, when it comes to finding the will of God, and we're coming back now to our text now, a very helpful way to look at this question, I believe, is just looking briefly at the three first questions of our shorter catechism. Very first question, what is the and chief of man? In other words, what is God's will for you? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what should be behind all your decision making. Whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do I do it? How do I know what it looks like in practice to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Question two, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The answer, His word. His word, His revealed will, is how we learn how to glorify God and enjoy Him in every single aspect of life. All that is, The Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God has everything we need to live a life for life and godliness. And then question three, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the answer has two parts, and we'll see those two parts as we come to Romans 12. What man is to believe first concerning God... And second, and what duty God requires of man. So you have two things there. What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. In a way, what, he's saying, what the catechism is doing here is splitting what in theology we call, or maybe in hermeneutics, I don't know, what we call the imperatives, the, the indicatives and the imperatives of the Bible. The first aspect, all that the Bible says that we should believe concerning God, and that's what we see in Romans 1 through 11, Romans 1 through 11, it's basically a big systematic theology. It's just everything you need to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. It starts with the sin of man, God's righteousness, God's holiness, the works of Christ coming and saving sinners, all the mercies of God that he, His Son became flesh, died for us, accomplished salvation through His atonement, through His perfect work. There's propitiation of sins. He brings us back to life, and now we live in this in-between, Romans 7, where there is still the influence of the sin, of the flesh, and yet we have the Spirit helping us, 
And we walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. That's the reality. And then we go even to future realities of the hope we have of heaven and God's redemption. All that theology that we have in the first 11 verses, all those indicatives, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have there, forgiveness of sins, that's the ground for what we do now, the second aspect of the will of God, which is what we actually do, the duty God requires of man. And that starts in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, therefore, after all this theology, after everything that you heard about the person of Christ and what you need to know to have a relationship with God, I appeal, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God, what is that? That's the gospel. That's understanding that you are a sinner, that you deserve hell for eternity, and God has paid the price, has atoned for your sins, so that now you can live as a living sacrifice that is acceptable before God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that you have as you live according to God's word. So everything starts with the gospel. We can't try to do anything right. If you start pursuing the will of God in your life, it starts understanding the gospel right. If you're not saved, if you're not living for the glory of God, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter the job you have. It doesn't matter where you're living. It's all, first of all, about the gospel. God's will to your life is your salvation. God's will to your life is your sanctification. And that's what he wants from you first and foremost. So God gives us all the gospel, all the mercies, and now asks us that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, living a life of repentance. Look at verse 2, the very beginning of verse 2. This is where we will spend the rest of our time here this morning. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And today, this is what we'll talk about. The idea of, again, not emptying our minds, but renewing our minds. That's the whole difference between pursuing the decretive will of God, where what? how do you do that? Through paganism. You empty yourself. You forget the word and you just try to have the spirit come to you and, and you feel those fuzzy feelings and feel the direction to what you have to do. Emptying your mind. That's not what we see here. The word of God is something, it's, it's true language, it's history, it's something that we study. We dig ourselves into the word of God so that we can know what he wants from us. It's the opposite of emptying our minds. It's actually engaging our minds in effort to understand and to study. That's how we find God's will. And of course, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's his law. We have everything good, acceptable, and perfect in the law of God leading us to what we have to do. So, the way I define find the will of God as a life of repentance is because if you think about it, this is what we see here in the text. We have two, last Sunday we talked about two aspects of repentance from the prodigal son, from the parable of the prodigal son. I don't know if you remember those two elements. The first one was a true assessment of who he is, a true assessment of his condition. I'm here, I'm eating with pigs. I thought that maybe getting away from my father and having my freedom and doing things according to my own will would be a good thing. No, not good. I'm, I'm eating with pigs. This is miserable. I don't want this. This is the true reality of my situation. And then there's a second aspect, which is understanding the goodness of God. He knows that according to the law, he would go back home and he would die. That was the law. That's what he deserved. But 
my father treats his servants so well. My father is merciful. My father is generous. My father is good. There is hope. Coming back and ask him in repentance. And that's what we see here as well. This aspect that starts our Christian walk through repentance, but continues as we go on. Every time we learn and renew our minds through scripture, we're learning things wrong about this world that sometimes we're used to it. And that's why even the way you eat your breakfast in the morning, the way you talk to your wife or your kids, things that you don't think about, am I doing this according to God's will? What does the word say? What, how should a husband behave? How should I treat my parents? All those things are in scripture. And unless we study and learn, start engaging our minds with those things, there will be no change. And that's the pursuit. That's God's will to our lives that you would understand and repent and move from the way the world has taught you to do. And that's our natural path. You just follow the world and switch to the way God in his spirit has written in his word that you would live. The, the very word repentance, the word metanoia, has the word mind there. It's a change of minds. It's a change from the spirit of this age to walking with the spirit of Christ. And repentance, it starts in the mind. So here is a quote from John uh, Grashter. And Arthur Lindsay, it's a book on apologetics that I read, completely different topic. But they say, they say something really interesting about the relationship between the mind and the heart. They say, the mind has a primacy of order, while the heart has a primacy in importance. Why am I saying this? Because we can miss the point in two different extremes. We have sometimes, the sure, the charismatic movement, people who would completely deny the word. You don't have to study. It's not about head knowledge. It's about actually living by the Spirit. It's about being spiritual and being, you know, loving and, and connecting with God somehow in a mysterious way. And they think it's all about the heart. It's the spiritual. It's not about the mind. Empty your mind. The other extreme is when we come to church and it's all about going to seminary and learning the history and the dates and getting the things down, the information, the, the theological words, the complicated words. God is not interested in that. He wants real change from the heart. So the heart is, has the primacy in importance. The goal, the final goal of all teaching, of all preaching and, and, and pursuit of God's will is that our hearts would be changed but the way, the avenue God has determined and established is through the engaging of the mind. That's why the mind has a primacy in order. It comes through the mind and renews our heart. And that's the last thing I want to do today is to show to you how in Scripture there's a parallel between the feeling of the word, which is something very rational. We engage our minds, we renew our minds, is studying and learning the Bible. And as you feel yourself with those things, that's how the Spirit of God comes and works in your heart. You can separate those two. The first text we uh, the first text we can go for that is Ephesians chapter four. And I'll read verses seventeen through twenty-four. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
See, it's the futility of their minds, it's the way they think. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. The word ignorance is pretty much the idea of having, not having the knowledge you should have in your mind. This is what ignorance is, you don't know. So, the futility of their minds, ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Even the word used here, learn, you learned Christ. It started with the understanding of your mind. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth in, is in Jesus. To put off your old self. So now we see the idea of repentance again. The put off and the put on. To put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, same ideas here. Put off, put on. Repentance. Keep moving from one direction to the other direction through the renewing of your thinking. Of your mind. This is God's will for you. Uh, this is the Christian life in a nutshell. Is that you would re be renewed in your mind. And that you would learn to love what Christ loves. And hate what Christ hates. You know who knows this strategy very, very well. Do you want to know who is maybe one of the best beings influencing our lives? who understand very well the importance of the mind. Satan. Satan knows this really, really well. Think about it. This age, this world, every week is putting up new things so that you can engage your mind. You have new movies every week. You have new books every week. You have music coming out, new music every day. You have new video games for your kids. All those things are there all the time. And you think that, oh, it's just a story. Through those stories, there is a message and there is content to those things. And you're learning the world is, is teaching you and, and suddenly bringing to your mind all these ideas of, of what, to, what is beautiful, what is ugly. When you watch a movie, you always have those characters. What is, what is the good guy? What is the bad guy? What does he look like? What should I cherish? What is true? What is valuable? What is right? What is wrong? All those things are there. And we're often engaging our minds with those ideas. Even redefining terms. Think of what we consider today as being love. Or success. Or happiness. And, and you think it doesn't affect who we are? How many times we look at our lives. Am I happy? Am I successful? How much money do I make a year? What kind of standard is this? You look at how much money you make to define how successful or happy you are. That's, that's worldly standards. And we often, without noticing, we're going in that direction. We're looking at what people have and I'm not successful. Because we're defining those things according to the world. And that's where we need the renewing of our mind. Am I doing God's will? I need to understand what God's will is. What God tells about life. What is important. What is valuable. What is true. What is beautiful. What should I cherish? What do I want to encourage people to have or not? And Satan knows he is often engaging our minds. And are we? Are we reading the word? Are we teaching? Are we catechizing our kids? The catechisms, that's the point of catechisms. That's why we print and 
every week here at church. So that you can catechize your kids that they would learn the indicatives and the imperatives of scripture. We'll probably quit here for today with engagement of the mind. And maybe to conclude this, let's go to, and if you would turn your Bibles then to Ephesians chapter 5. That's the last place we'll look at. We'll study today. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 17. The interesting thing about Ephesians chapter 5 is that here we not only have that same pattern of, of engaging the mind, but there's also a way to see if we are doing that correctly or not. And the way the Bible teaches that is through your fruits. What do you see in your life? What kind of person are you when you compare yourself to Scripture and what Scripture describes as a Christian? That's what we see here in chapter 5 of Ephesians. So, and we'll conclude with this. Uh, It's some good material too that we can think about as we go on this week. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. The word foolish, by the way, is just in Greek, it's just the word like a... Uh, like a negative, like a not, like a ah. Anyway, it's, it's not to think. It's unthinking. It's ignorant. You're not thinking, not using your mind. That's the idea of being foolish. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be like that. But understand what the will of God is. So the way to learn the will of God is through understanding. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verses 20, verse 19 and 20, you have singing psalms, giving thanks always. Are those things part of your life? If not, that's a good sign. So you need to renew your mind in that area. It's very practical. Remember the breakfast. Something as simple, and I'm picking breakfast for a reason. If, if something simple as breakfast can receive some application from this, then you can apply this to anything in your life. When you wake up in the morning, now considering the mercies of God, considering what you deserved as a sinner, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, who you are and what Christ did for you, wake up and have your breakfast. It's going to change your mind about that. You're going to need to renew your mind because now when you eat your breakfast, after thinking of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, I praise you because I do not deserve anything. I deserve hell. And I'm here and I have good food. I have breakfast to start my day. Praise be your name. Amen. I'll wait this for your glory. Let me worship you and bring glory to you, to my Savior, Jesus Christ, even from the understanding that this is a good thing I'm receiving from you, from your grace that I don't deserve. It changes the way we breakfast. How much more everything that we do in our life when it comes to more important relationships. So, verse 20, giving thanks always in everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, another aspect, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Humility. Are you a humble person? Those decisions you make, very practical things. Which which place should I go? Which career should I take? Are you choosing that career because you want the prestige? Prestige? Because you want the people look at you because you're a doctor and now you're there's some honor to that, or you want to do this for others so that you can serve others for the glory of Christ. 
Submit to one another out of reverence. Love. That's there for any decision you make. We don't have time to go through the text, but just to bullet point all these things. Verse 22. Wife. What is to be a wife renewed in her mind, filled with the Spirit? Subject to your husband willingly and gladly. Verse 25. Husband. Beloved. And again, love. If you look according to the world, if you're watching a Hollywood movie to understand what love is... You're going to go very wrong with this, but study scripture. Renew your mind and understand what loving is. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, be obedient to your parents. Verse 4, parents, do not provoke your kids to anger. Verse 5, be obedient to an employee, be obedient to your boss as if obedient to Christ. Verse 9, boss, treat your employees in a manner that honors Christ. These are very practical. This is the word of God. It's very practical. Am I doing this or not? Renew your mind. Check yourself and see if you're truly walking according to the counsel of God. Verse, and I'll conclude with this, Psalm 34, verse 4. Sorry, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. There are two different ways to look at this text. A way that I like and find interesting, and and they're both true together. If one is true, the other one is also true. I don't know the original intent of the altar here, but the way I read it is, Delight yourself in the Lord. Renew your mind. Understand His Word. And He will not give you the things you desire. That's true as well. But I think what the text is saying is, He will give you your desires. If that makes sense. And and that's a prayer I think we should pray every day. When I wake up in the morning, we know we're sinners. And so often, we desire things that we should not. And we struggle with that. Lord, why am I lusting? Why am I desiring this thing that I know is wrong. I know I shouldn't want this, but somehow I'm anxious and I feel bad about myself. Though I know you care about me, I know you love me, I still feel sad and lacking joy because I want this. God, change the desires of my heart. Help me be satisfied and understand that that's not a good desire. I should desire, I desire your presence. I desire these other things. And I think that that's what tax is saying. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's no better prayer than that. To desire that what you want is what God wants. Lord, when I desire something, may I desire what you desire. May I desire from your heart. May my heart desire what your heart desires. And my challenge for you this week is that you would, again, apply these things not only to the questions that we engage our minds with naturally, uh, the big decisions in life, but every single thing. Let's renew our minds. Let's meditate upon the word of God and try to understand what he wants for us in every single part of our life. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, first of all, to praise your name, to thank you for all you have done and all your work for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you because through him we have received your gospel, we have received your spirit, and now we know we can be renewed in our minds, not desiring the foolish things that our flesh desired in our natural state. But now through your spirit, we can walk and receive all the good things that you bestow on us through your spirit. We can experience true love, true kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. And we pray that you would give us all these things as we study your word, as we try to understand who who you are, what you want from us, and give us the the strength and, and, and... and the ability to do what you have commanded us to do. Help us to find joy in you and to delight in you 
so that the desires of our heart can be according to the desires of your heart. We pray all these things, trusting in the power and in the love we have um, in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.